If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast which brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. The anonymity of the internet has enabled an epidemic of abuse. This week, our speakers look at the dark and the digital. Do we need the oversight of others to behave well? Was Hobbes right after all, and humankind is just at core wicked and requiring restraint? So should we abolish online anonymity to create a better world? Or is there a culture where our essential goodness could flourish without us having to be watched? On our stellar lineup this week, we have former Director of Operations and Intelligence for the British Secret Intelligence Service, otherwise known as MI6, Nigel Inkster. He'll be joined by political commentator, freelance journalist, and former assistant editor of the online magazine Spiked, Ella Whelan. They'll be joined by respected pundit who writes regularly for the I, International Business Times, and New European, Yasmin Alibi Brown, and finally, former conflict advisor to the EU and the UN, and author of Nothing, Odin's Island and War, Yana Teller. Once you've finished today's episode, please do head out into the dark and digital and join in the conversation on our social pages on Facebook or Twitter at II underscore TV, and over on iTunes where you can give us a rating review and let us know what you thought of today's episode. Thanks for listening. Back now to Stephanie Hare, who hosts this week's episode. Do we need the oversight of others to behave well? Yana, I'd love to start off with you. Human beings are neither, as I say, good or bad. We act to survive. And depending on the culture around us, we'll do acts that are better to others or not um, in that process. It depends on the success criteria of our culture. What we need to act in ways that is not detrimental to other people is a purpose that sets us on a path that means the better survival, not just for ourselves, but also for our surroundings. It's, it's a kind of understanding of that. And when our success criteria, therefore, is the better survival of the entire group, we tend to act in a better way. The problem then with the internet is it has made the group uh, to which we relate to totally global. I mean, when you're within a village, there's a certain amount of social control, a certain amount of common purpose of people who live under the same circumstances. Already in a big city, we lose that because there are too many people, too different people, too different uh, social and economic circumstances to have common conditions that leads us in one direction. 
But on the internet, you can multiply that with a, at least a few hundred, maybe thousand times, that we all connect or can influence people with whom we, we don't know anything about and we don't necessarily have immediate goals in common. And therefore, it becomes so easy to say, well, to advance my success to the detriment of someone else who my action might influence, but just through the screen, you don't have a feedback where you feel it and you don't see the consequences. And I think that's why abuse online is absolutely rampant. It's not because human beings are more or less evil. It's simply a mechanisms of how we function. And to come back this, do we need the oversight of others to be here? Well, yes, unless we have a very strong internal human compass. If we really can distinguish right and wrong ourselves, we don't need others to keep an eye on. But most of us uh, who have lived more or less monoculturally, and without, I mean, even within a country, but in a certain village type or community where there are rights and wrongs, we don't even know, we don't have a personal compass that if we are on our own in total different culture, we wouldn't even need, know what is right or wrong. But if we have been challenged, um, then we develop that human compass. You know, if you're put in another culture where you actually maybe killing is allowed, but you say, no, I don't like to kill. That shows that you have your own personal human compass, regardless of your surroundings. If we have that, there would not be a problem with the internet. The problem is that we don't have around the world cultures where we develop that. And I also don't think it's realistic to have this within a reasonable time frame. Therefore, we do need oversight. Excellent, thank you. Ella, has the internet revealed something dark within us? Your thoughts, please. Well, um, I mean, it's interesting that we're having this discussion. Remember that the internet is only 30 years old. So uh, I actually think that uh, it has revealed something, definitely. It potentially isn't very dark. And I don't actually think it's about us, the general public of internet users. Um, I think what the internet, what internet abuse has revealed is the opposite side of us, our very cavalier approach to freedom, liberty and freedom of speech, because however bad internet abuse might be from time to time, I think what's far more worrying is the knee-jerk reaction to censor, to police, to uh, commission people to be the, the, those who have oversight to place controls on us. Uh, and really the internet has been a test for our, over the last 30 years for our tolerance and our ability to deal with uh, difficult situations, and we've been found wanting. I mean, a cursory look at the kind of regulations and policies that are used within social media show us that actually, on your day-to-day -day use of the internet, you are quite restricted. Uh, and the consequences of that is that we are having a debate online throughout different channels, and the content that we access is much more limited than you might actually perceive. I mean, there's certainly an issue with social media in particular that we might get into. Uh, that rather than this being a dark issue of internet abuse, the really problematic and quite frightening uh, side of it is that we are giving up our freedom to speak and think freely to uh, the government, to social media giants, to those that are largely unaccountable. Uh, so I want to turn the question on its head and actually say that rather than the internet being the problem, it actually the internet has revealed a long-standing and now sort of uh, an issue that's becoming more and more pertinent of how we value freedom, how we value engagement, communication, and freedom of speech. 
Great, thank you very much, Anna. Nigel. Yeah. Has, the, has this shown us anything about ourselves by implication that we didn't already know? I think the answer is no. Um, it's revealed that we have two parts to our brain, you know, the, the, the cortex and the lizard brain. And uh, what we're seeing at the moment is uh, the lizard brain at work. Trial by Twitter is nothing more than a modernization of our earlier propensity to attend gladiatorial contests or public executions. You know, it's the same drivers uh, that are at work. And the problem is that uh, the business model of the internet giants um, is actually um, so configured as to have to promote and encourage this kind of behavior. Because it's all about keeping us online as long as possible so they can scrape our data, so they can sell it for targeted and predictive ad advertising. And what keeps you online? Outrage and fear. You know, these two emotions are the things that keep you scrolling through, you know, looking at the next YouTube, you know, shocker, beheading, whatever. Um, it works, uh, you know, it works um, extremely well. Having said that, I mean, I, I agree with the last speaker, with Ella, that uh, you know, we need to be very careful about knee-jerk reactions, or something must be done mentality. I spend a lot of my time talking to people from countries like uh, China and Russia about uh, things like cybersecurity. They would love us to clamp down. You know, they would really, really like to see us implement wide-scale controls on, on, on freedom of speech, because that would, of course, justify precisely what it is they want to do. And I always feel that when you've got um, something that an authoritarian regime uh, wants you to do, that's probably a very good um, reason as to why you should not do it. And I'll end it there. Thank you very much. Yasmin. I think we should be really, really careful of how we use language and how we use concepts. The fact that China or the Arab nations or many African nations um, and several others, undemocratic nations, absolutely want to clamp down on freedom cannot be used as the reason why in proper democracies, which this is just until Boris comes into power, then who knows what's going to happen, um, anarchy. Um, so I just want to be clear, censorship is not the same as sensible, decent regulation. I work for the print sector. I cannot write whatever I fancy whenever I'm writing my columns. Quite rightly, the legal um, uh, department looks at it. My bosses look at it. We have restraint on what we can do with what we write. You might not think that, but actually even the most outrageous papers in this country are subject to some kind of regulation. So for me, the internet is a publishing venture. It's not beyond publishing. And therefore, we have to consider the damage that is being done. Is it OK in the name of this spurious freedom that Diane Abbott gets the kind of abuse she gets hour after hour from anonymous, cowardly, racist scumbags? No, I do not want to live in a society where good freedom is held up as a reason I get it too. I think I'm the third most abused woman of color in this country. Not, not a, an honor I've ever sought. But um, so I think there's a lot of dishonest discussion. Censorship is what Egypt does, which is what Turkey now does. 
restraint is quite a different matter. And yes, I do believe the Wild West, that is the internet, needs some regulation. Okay, so we've got four very strong and very well articulated views. I'm going to open with Ella for the first theme of do we need the oversight of others to behave well? Because you've raised a really interesting point about freedom. We've heard about other countries around the world that might like to see democracies clamp down on it more. And we obviously want to think about how do we balance freedom of speech with the fact that freedom of speech is leading to a lot of people suffering quite a lot of abuse. Mm -hmm. And it's not evenly distributed in our population. Some people get it far more than others. So what are your thoughts about that? How do we, how do we get the oversight question right? Well, uh, uh, there's a difference between saying that abuse is is right. I, mean, I don't think anyone is saying that it's correct, morally correct, uh, you know, an enjoyable experience to have abuse. But there's a difference between saying, is it right or wrong? And do we allow it? And that's the question of do we allow it isn't about celebrating uh, the darker corners of the internet in which people do indulge in some pretty bad behavior. But it's about recognizing the fact that once we bring in the question of people with the power to make regulations and take that position of oversight, who are those people? Raise your hand if you trust the current government to put in place regulations. Actually, I do. Theresa, yeah. you, you, oh, I, I think we have regulations now. in power. She's yeah, out I now, but I, yeah. I mean, I don't trust the current government to make any kind of uh, declarations on what is true or false, what is right or wrong uh, in relation to political discourse, to moral discourse. Do you, do you trust Mark Zuckerberg? I mean, to point to me one position, one person in a position of power that you would personally trust to tell you what is right and wrong to say. And the point is, this is actually a point about democracy, because in a society in which you have freedom of speech, and on the basis of that coming at a price of dealing with some quite difficult stuff, what you have is a democratic approach to discourse to communication, because you are within a collective, allowing uh, debate, allowing discussion, and then better ideas come about. If you just have one bod at the top who says, absolutely, I think that your position on abortion rights or your position on immigration is the wrong one. I mean, is that a free society? I don't think so. Yeah, no, I'd love to know. Uh, yeah, well, as, uh, I agree with, uh, with the asthma because it's in our democracy, in the real world, we have rules freedom of speech doesn't mean absolute freedom to say anything you want at any point in time everywhere it comes with a responsibility it goes the freedom of one goes to where it infringes on the freedom of another you know the freedom from being demonized the freedom from being abused and that's why freedom of speech works in the real world democracy because we have those protections built in but who and decides those, the protections but we have decided because we have voted politicians in place through generations that build up the democracy we live in today and it's just those same rules we shall make to apply on the internet because what you're saying ends up in what we're seeing now, which is anarchy. And anarchy is not freedom for everybody. Anarchy is always rule of the bully. And the bully is the mob culture that we see. And if you have, as I have and Yasmin have, been subject to online bullying, um, uh, hacking, undermining, identity theft, you have no doubt that you'd rather have a government regulate than the mobs. Yeah. And you raise an interesting point here. Who's the mob? There's a qu another question. Well, think, Who's the mob? I think the question is, is everyone. Also, is it you? how much is, is this new? So we've, we've touched on this point that so we have existing laws that govern these questions in the so-called analog world. 
Does the digital world, does the internet world require new laws or do the analog laws work? So I'd love to punt this over to you, Nigel. Okay, well, we do have, you know, we do have, and of course we do need laws that uh, govern how uh, we behave in the real world um, and in the digital world. And we have laws, and these laws are equally applicable in the digital world as in the real world. If somebody libels you, you have recourse through you know, the civil courts. If somebody throws racist slurs at you, there are laws that actually prevent that from happening. The problem, of course, is, um, you know, as much as anything, one of practicality. How, in practice, do we enforce these in a situation where there is so much of this going on all the time, day in and day out, um, you know, it's not a job for the police. They're not resourced nor configured to do a job like this. The police that we have are there to police us as people. They're not there to police ideas or, you know, or, or, or people's thinking. The technology majors, yes, we are now starting to put pressure on them uh, to do more to improve the quality of, of online discourse. I mean, you know, it's, it's been a depressing uh, experience watching the denial, obfuscation, and uh, general reluctance to accept responsibility uh, for, for the content from which they so uh, manifestly benefit. But we are now starting to get uh, our arms, starting to get our arms around this problem. And certainly in the United States, and I think this does matter because at the end of the day, the USA is still where the weather is made online, uh, politicians are starting to get to grips with this and we should be encouraging them to do so. And the EU is, is at the forefront and which is why one of the things they hate about the EU because of these freedom warriors thinking the EU. Um, but, but can I make a really important point which I've only been thinking about in the last three or four days. In, there's a new play that has been written by a young playwright at the Soho Theatre and it's based on extensive interviews with the community around those three girls in the East End who went off to join ISIS. It's a fantastic play. And it's called, Does My Bomb Look Big in This? It's a great title too. <laughs> and one of the things that you, there were lots of parents there the night I went to see it. And the number of them said, if only we could do, because what happened was these girls were like teenagers bit discontent, whatever. It was what they saw online that got them into this place where they ended up, and I think two of them have died. So when we talk about the internet, we need to remember some of the really awful things that are coming out of this uncontrollable, out of this uncontrollable space. Thank you so much for that and to all four of you. And that the segues very neatly into the next sort of theme here, which is really about whose responsibility is it? And you know, we've asked, is it the government's? Nigel said, this isn't a job for the police. We've hinted a little bit that it might be the job of the tech companies. And certainly anyone who's a woman and has been on Twitter knows. And Amnesty International put out a really quite disturbing report. If you're a woman on Twitter, the abuse that you get is just horrific. And if you're a woman of color, it's going to be exponentially even worse. And Twitter in particular, I'm just sort of signaling them as really bad if you report to that abuse that's saying this doesn't violate their terms and services. So if you go to the police and try to say I'm being threatened 
online, on Twitter. The police don't even have the power to do anything, and Twitter will say it doesn't violate its terms and conditions. So that's another real-world example, along with what's being put in front of children, who are, of course, a totally specific user group that needs special protections. So I'm going to punt this back. How do we even start this question of whose responsibility it is when most of the companies that make this tech aren't even in this country, but we're all using it? Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to iai.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses and live events. Are you bored of the surface level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. I, I think you'd be, I think we're perhaps, I know this is a debate about the internet, but I think we're perhaps laying too much power at, at the door of the internet. I mean, the things that kind of discussions we're having about the problems, take for example the issue of grooming for terrorism or uh, political extremism, uh, these things happened 30 years ago, but instead of happening on a blog, they happened in a closed room in someone's basement. I mean, the, the forces at play here of a panic, really, about at the heart of this is a panic about what happens if you give the mob, the masses, the public, the ability to talk freely, share ideas. What happens is they go down these really dark routes. And what we've got to do as the people in power is prevent them from doing that and save them from themselves. You can see where I'm going here. It's not only an anti-democratic point of view, but it's also a really anti, a largely an anti-kind of working class, anti-masses point of view. Because at the heart of this is the idea is that if you give people the internet, this wonderful tool that has transformed our lives, our ability to communicate and work and interact, then we will only use that for negative things, for bad. I actually have more faith in humanity that I think these problems are not insurmountable. And you have a weighing balance here. On the one hand, you have a belief in freedom of speech, which I think comes with largely no ifs and no buts. It's the, it's the bedrock of a free society. And on the other hand, you have the challenge of dealing with the fact that freedom of speech brings uh, risks, it brings problems, it brings issues. How do you deal with that? And I always say that I think it's with more freedom, not less. So let's not pretend like the internet is this terrible force that's you know, made us do stuff. It's actually a means through which we have been exploring the kind of underlying tensions that already exist in society. But we also need to get really concrete and say what we're going to do to stop kids from being recruited to join the Islamic State or to stop women from being threatened with rape and death online and getting no joy when they go to the police. Well, so, so right, just, as a, just very quickly, let someone else speak. But on the issue of, uh, on the issue of women, because this is what I wrote my book about, uh, there, it is the fact that if, you're, if you go on Twitter, you get, I get uh, a lot of stick. But what worries me more is not the nut jobs on Twitter telling me that I'm you know, fat or ugly or stupid or whatever. It's the, underly <laughs> it's the underlying idea from the people who are so afraid for me that I, as a woman, cannot possibly handle that kind of difficulty, that I must be shielded like a child from that kind of thing. That's the more worrying argument, the patronization of people, rather than the actual deal of you know, the fact that 
even when things are difficult, you can deal with it. I mean, I keep using the, the example of abortion. Abortion activists, I, I do a lot of work on them. In the past, fighting for their arguments, women used to get pelted in the street. I mean, pelted and called baby murderers. And yet they still managed to champion their argument. And yet they still managed to win. Why is it that we women on the internet are not able to deal with a similar amount of, uh, you know, con conflict? Why has it changed? Exactly. Yes, why, I mean, why should we have to? Why, why do we have to die? Why do we have to live? Why do we have to deal with any kind of... It's, it's part of a personal responsibility as, a, as individuals in society be, to deal with these things. These would also be things that in an analogue world, if I get threatened with death on the street, if a man comes up and says he's going to kill me on the street and I stop the local cop and say, mm. Nigel here is getting a bit aggressive, I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna have I a really it. different, right? We're gonna have a really different yeah, yeah. conversation exactly. with that mm. officer yeah. than if I just say this guy on Twitter named Monkey One Two Three said that he's got, he knows where I live and he's mm. coming for me, right? And Twitter, I'll have to sort of write to Mountain View, and they'll be mm. like, oh God, you live in London, and nothing will happen, yeah. right? Or those kids, like these are it's. I'm with you. I'm a free speech advocate as well. I also think these are really, you know, we have to have a real People solution. are being arrested for what they tweet, by the way. Well, I mean, that is yeah. happening. Yeah. Right. So. And so but how do we get that I do completely resent what you said about women, that you can survive all of this and what's wrong with the rest of us. Actually, I really resent it. That's so... Uh, make you're so unaware of the level of abuse, of the level of intimidation, of what that does to your psyche. Now you might you might be it, very Yasmin. much braver and stronger than me, but sorry, I am not prepared to live in your democracy where these anonymous cowards come for me hour after hour. And it's not the same as the suffragettes and the people who actually physically go out and, and fight as activists. No, it's easier this than is that. a terrible force. And also, what about child pornography? What about all those vulnerable people who are now... I love the internet for all the good it does. I'm not a Luddite, but I'm not stupid about these freedoms, actually, because it's curtailing my freedom to sleep easy. May I also say, yeah. I'll also say I totally disagree because the thing is when women got pelleted to go and get abortions, it was exactly to get laws in place that would protect that right yeah. for the, those who were weaker than walking down that street of shame. And that's the thing within, it's a privileged position you're holding. There are girls in Thailand being raped for open screen because Western men will pay to be able to sit and masturbate in front of a screen where they order what kind of abuse the girl shall be uh, subjected to. And these kind of things are rampant. And I don't say the internet could I mean, be used for lots of... May, law, may I finish? Right. I let you sorry, finish. Sorry, sorry, sorry. These kind of things are rampant. The internet could be used for lots of good things and is being used for good things also. But I think the negatives are so much worse. P young people who are being bullied today cannot, as our generation move school move town if it's worse even move country it goes with them that's why they kill themselves in large numbers it's not one or two we're talking lots of teenagers kill themselves because they can't get away from the bullying we are talking about parents of these sandy hook kids who got massacred in a mass shooting then the, some alt-right guy gets this uh, conspiration uh, conspiracy theory online that oh it didn't happen it was all actors the parents who have lost their kids under these horrific uh, conditions, they are then being bullied 
so far that one committed suicide recently, one has to change address every year and has to keep private addresses, can't even order anything online. Can you imagine that kind of thing? And it's all because of you are free to invent anything about anybody else you want. And when I talk about mob culture, it's not that everyone will do anything bad, it's that the problem is the most brutal one wins when everything's anarchy and free fall. And the governments, after all, it's not Theresa May or Boris Johnson, they're there for a short time. We have exactly the power through democracy to change who sit and represent us. So they put in place laws that serve us and to the betterment of all of us. Thank you. I think one of the themes that I'm hearing us talking about is we want democracy, but we also want accountability. And this is something that we have more of in the analog real world, and we're challenged on how to have it in the digital world because so much of it can be anonymous. You can hide behind so many things. Anonymity also has many advantages for activists who work in countries where they don't have the same freedoms that we might enjoy, but also perhaps even here as well. So this moves us neatly onto our third and final theme. Is ending anonymity the only way to end abuse? And Nigel, I'd love for you to yeah. lead us with that, please. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I think anonymity, like a lot of things, uh, is entirely dependent on context. You know, there, there are many reasons why um, anonymity you know, might be justified. And certainly in this country, um, the law holds the view that it is not an offense for you to assume an, a, a different identity um, unless you're, you're doing so in order to commit some uh, criminal offense. So uh, multiple identities and hiding who you really are, um, you know, there, there, there are many reasons why you might want to do that. You know, I, you know, as a citizen, I want my identity to be known to you know, to the government, God, even uh, HMRC, you know, I mean it, really. Um, um, but if I'm testifying in the trial, let us say, of, you know, a dangerous, violent criminal, I, you know, anonymity uh, counts for a lot. And anonymity plays an important role in many of the things that make our society work. Stephanie mentioned, you know, the point about human rights activists operating in uh, dangerous uh, environments. And uh, the US government actually set, out, set up TOR, which, translate, which eventually evolved into the darknet, precisely in order to facilitate um, this kind of activity. Unfortunately, TOR did not work um, as well as uh, people had hoped the encryption and uh, um, concealment techniques proved less uh, um, solid than uh, were expected, and I think a number of people have suffered a, a, as a consequence. But, you know, the justification for doing that, it seems to me, is clear. So it's all about context. And if people are on Twitter, if they're on what is to all intents and purposes a public forum, engaging uh, in uh, free debate about whatever, I see no justification for anonymity. What, what is the justification? Why, why do you not want people to know uh, who you are. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that is acceptable. I think it's perfectly simple, um, you know, to, to for, for, you know, in, in, in the context of um, countries that have the rule of law, that have standards of governance, yeah. to, to, to require people who want to, uh, you don't have a, a, you know, an inalienable human right to use Twitter uh, or put things on YouTube. I think it's entirely reasonable in those circumstances to um, impose minimum requirements of identification.
Tatiana or Ella, I want right. to offer well, a chance for you to rebut. I'll, I'll just be quickly on that. I, all, I also think anonymity is an unnecessary road that opens up for a lot of um, malintent. Um, and in a lot of all the criminal activities, what if we all, if we had to identify ourselves when we would go on the internet, just wouldn't be possible. And people, again, that social control I talked about from the beginning, would come back because there still are some limits to what people will like other people to know that they are doing. Um, but I just want to get back also to freedom of expression, where I think it's often misunderstood in these general debates is as if, oh, it's a free for all to, you know, I can go and say idiots to anyone I want. The reason we have freedom of expression under democracy is so that people can speak up against the authorities. It's that uh, you can speak against power that the power cannot hold down your voice when you criticize the powers. It's not meant as a um, tool opening for the powerful people abusing the less powerful, which is how it's being used on the internet. Ella. Well, I mean, that, just on that, I mean, I think we'd agree that some of the, the use of freedom of speech by the far right in this country is abhorrent. And yet they, are, they argue that they are challenging the establishment. So that kind of calls into question your distinction between that. But on the issue of anonymity, um, I tend to take a more balanced view on it, um, not because I don't think that transparency is a vital part of democracy. And I think because what, when, when you have freedom of speech, you also must be accountable and responsible for the arguments you put out. That's how you have a good debate. However, I do think we can't toss aside the fact that in certain situations, anonymity and having a private space, which exists in the real world, um, is important online. And to take an example, and usually I spend my time criticizing um, aspects of the hashtag MeToo movement, but it was a vital part of that was about women and men being able to anonymously share their stories as part of a wider conversation. And I think if you'd uh, privately asked any of those persons who did it anonymously, whether or not they'd actually speak if they had to have a verified name on it, they'd say no. And so then does that mean that we're not allowing for a kind of free discourse? So I think with this, uh, I'm not balanced on freedom of speech. I think that should be an absolute. But on anonymity, I think we have to have a bit more of a nuanced discussion. But still, what really made me to roll was the naming. And yeah. that was really what was essential that suddenly said, hey, is that person, is that person, is that person? Yeah, but that's that's some it. of those accusations turned out to be not true. So that's why yeah. anonymity is a complex thing. But that's again where freedom of expression shall come with responsibility. You can also be charged if you accuse somebody wrongly, which is right, because this shouldn't happen. So I'm hearing some themes here on the one hand of privacy and anonymity being a really important part of privacy. And we want to have privacy because the opposite of this is a full surveillance state, which I'm not sure any of us necessarily want to live in either. But then there's this question of if we want to be free, which we also want, we want to be private, we want to be free, we need to have a digital identity, we need to have transparency, we need to have accountability. So we've got a big circle to square here. Yasmin, I want to make sure that you have time for just if you've got any points on this. Well, last I just bit. think it's not. Um, again, we have to be careful that we're talking about this country. I'm assuming mm -hmm. we're talking about this country or Europe, okay? And we have checks and balances, and we have rules. And the thing with anonymity, I can never say this word properly, is that it is the domain of the cowards. They, it is the most cowardly thing they do is that they say all this stuff and they whip up all this hatred, but they haven't the courage to say who they are. And how can you respect people who, who, who 
create, whip up real hatred against people like me or Diane or whatever, and aren't prepared to expose them. So unlike Mary Beard, who's much nicer than I am, um, I have met these guys and have not made them my friends, but I have said to them that you disgust me because you are cowards. I met them because they actually resorted to some very dangerous threats and the police actually identified them. And you know, when you meet them, they are quite pathetic. They're quite pathetic and unable to defend what yeah. they said. And that's what really gets me that under the guise of, oh, this is a free, brave new world, they are actually doing nothing useful for themselves or anybody else. Having strong opinions. Hey, I have friends who are even Tories. I don't mind them, <laughs> yeah? Uh, but, but there is a kind of respect I give them because they have integrity and they can argue their case. But what do you do to people who are threatening to kill you and cut off your clitoris because they don't agree with what you said on the paper review? What do you say to them? That they are heroes of freedom of speech? Uh-uh. Thank you very much to all of our speakers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Philosophy for Our Times. The podcast was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. It was hosted by me, Anna Carey, and our guest this week with Nigel Inkster, Yasmin Alibi-Brown, Ella Whelan and Yana Teller. For more on today's topic, we have much more for you from Philosophy for Our Times. Take a listen to Reality in the Digital World with Lawrence Scott on his recent book, Picnic, Come a Lightning, or have a listen to The Digital Revolution, a special episode in which we interview the lecturer and author John Barnes on the relationship between democracy and technology. Now you've listened to today's episode, please do head over to iTunes, give us a rating and review, join in the conversation online, make sure you subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. And of course, tune in next week for more debates and talks from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas.